one said, Praise the Lord. Aren't you happy to be in the house of God this morning? Amen. The psalmist said, As the, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so doth my soul panteth after longeth after thee, O God. Now you've got to understand what a heart does or what a, what, a, what a deer does. What does the water brook mean to the deer? It's a twofold purpose. The water brook will sustain him. He understands when I'm running through those woods and I'm, I'm exerting all of my energy, the one place I know I can get a refreshing is at the water brook. The water will sustain him. But let's go beyond that. The water is a place of safety. Because when that, when that enemy is chasing him, there's something programmed in the mind of that deer. If I could get in the water, I'll lose my scent. If I could get in the water, the enemy can't find me anymore. You see, what David was saying is, when I am weary in my soul, number one, if I can get to Jesus, I know I'll be sustained. But when the enemy's chasing me, if I can get to Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for Jesus this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So good to be with you this morning. I brought the better part of the package with me today. And maybe I'll preach a little better. Good to have my family with me. It makes things a little more hectic in a hotel room when you have six of us. But I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because I love having my family with me. I want to share with you what the Lord laid on my heart last week in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Give honor to your pastor and his wife. Thankful for their role that they feel in our family and in our life and our ministry. Don't you love your pastor? Amen. Love him very much. Amen. I made up my mind a long time ago that the greatest heroes in this world are preachers. I told somebody last night, and I'm thankful for music, but the Bible doesn't say precious are the feet of the musicians. There's a special place in the heart of God for the ministry. Amen. And so one of the I, 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 my goal when I started evangelizing was I wanted to have men that I preached for sign the front of my Bible, and one of the first ones that signed it was Brother Mark Hughes. And I'll pass this on to uh, not a son-in-law, maybe a grandson one day. We'll get this Bible. Amen. 2 Corinthians 11, chapter, or chapter number 11, let's begin with verse 1. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent 
beguiled Eve, deceived Eve, lied to Eve. My fear is that the, the body of Christ, the people of God, would fall prey to the subtlety of the serpent. I want to preach a little while today and help someone hear the truth about a lie. The truth about a lie. Would you lift your hands with me this morning and let's God ask God to help us today. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Ghost that is present to, to minister and to strengthen and to touch people's lives. Lord, let us break the walls down. Let us remove the barriers that would hinder us from responding and receiving what you would have for us today. Let your word minister, let your word speak, and let your spirit touch us today. We thank you for what you're going to do. And everybody claps their hands unto the Lord this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Lord bless you. You can be seated this morning. The truth about a lie. Much has been said through the years and through this word about the kingdom of God and those who make up His kingdom. We know today that we are the body of Christ. We serve a different role, a different function, a different purpose, yet we work uh, in harmony uh, to achieve something great for God. The Bible calls us a peculiar people. We're a holy nation. We're a royal priesthood. We're set apart to, as a special elect people for Jesus Christ. We are governed by His Spirit. We are led by His hand. And we are healed by His blood. The church is built upon the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. And we know that it is unshakable. It is unmovable. And upon the rock I will build my church, he said. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. But perhaps today the greatest comparison the Bible uses is when the church is compared to a bride. Paul said, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You are a bride. This is the comparison Paul is trying to draw today, that you are a bride. And when I, when I present you, Paul took it personal. Paul understood I've got a responsibility. And I, I want to present the, the, the church, the people of God, to Jesus Christ as a chaste virgin, or could we say, untouched by anything else, something that is pure. And as the groom anticipates the day of marriage, waiting anxiously for the union between bride and groom, we can conclude that Christ is doing the same thing with the church. There is one bride and is prepared for one groom. But Paul said, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity in Christ Jesus. I want to pause and remind you that living for God 
is not as complex as we make it. Let's break this down real easy. Because Paul said there's some simplicity in Christ. You bring all of your junk to God. You bring all of your faults. You bring all of your failures. You bring the things you're not proud of. You bring your shame, your regret. You bring everything. You lay it at an altar. God fills you with His Spirit. You are born again of the Spirit. You go down in the water in the name of Jesus, and you're born of water. So you're born of water and of Spirit. Uh, you're like a new baby that desires to know more and, and give me milk, give me any, anything. I want to grow. And so basically here it is. If you want to make it to heaven, you don't do what's wrong. You do what's right. You can't get any more simple than that. You do, you do pray. You do fast. You do read the Word. And you stop doing what you know is wrong. And that's as simple as you can break down living for God. But, but we have, if you're like me, you have an analytical mind. I, I, I want to figure everything out. I want, I want plan A through Z. I want to know everything. Don't surprise me. I don't like spontaneity. I like plans. I want to know what time we're doing something. I, I, that's just how my mind works. And so the enemy can mess with your mind. Because you can continue in body and not in mind. And he said, lest by any means that old subtle serpent's going to come and, and he's going to deceive, he's going to lie. He's going to mess with your mind. You see, to understand this verse fully, you've got to look at the overall process of what's happened between the Old and the New Testament. It was a plan of redemption between Adam and Christ Jesus. There's more to meet than meets the eye. It's a plan of restoration. 1 Corinthians 15:45 says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. So we have the first Adam, and we have the last Adam. The first Adam did not fulfill the plan of God, but yet fell into sin. So the last Adam came to restore what was destroyed in the Garden of Eden. So there is a comparison or a contrast between the first Adam and the last Adam. So there has to be another comparison, another contrast between Eve. What, 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 Paul, what Paul was trying to convey was this. What, what the church is to the world is what Eve was in the Garden of Eden. There is a comparison. Jesus was the last Adam, and the church, could I say, is going to be the last Eve. It's going to be that one that was innocent, that one that was pure, that one that was not tainted or marred by the thumbprints of humanity. So we have to ask ourselves, what was Eve's downfall? What led to Eve's destruction? What led to her uh, walking down a path that was not pleasing to God? Simply put, Eve believed a lie. And so Paul feared that the serpent would try to beguile us, the church, the last Eve, could I say. Like he beguiled Eve. 
The word beguile means to deceive. Deception is a lie. It tends to have elements of truth interwoven. Yet we can all agree that a half-truth is still a whole lie. And the enemy wants to mess with your mind and get you to latch hold of something that is not true. This verse reaches more than just a doctrine. There are people that have believed a lie, doctrinally speaking. But let's put aside doctrine. There are people today that are not living for God simply because they believed a lie. There's people that once shouted in church in a church altar. People who once danced. People who once prayed. But somewhere along the way, the enemy got in their mind. And they listened to the wrong voice. And they lost hope in their situation. They threw in the towel. Because somewhere in their mind came a lie. And they listened to the lie. I believe today it's time that we take notice of who's been doing the talk in our mind that we take a role of what voices have been speaking in our life because if you listen to the wrong voice you'll go the wrong way Satan's list of descriptive words reveal a lot about who he is he is the accuser of the brethren he is the ruler of this world he is a deceiver he's a tempter he is a slew foot he is belial or wicked but John 8:44 gives us his DNA. This is Jesus talking. He was a murderer from the beginning. That's his origin. That's his DNA. He's a murderer. He abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. If you break that down, what it really means is when he speaks a lie, He's speaking his native language. What English is to us, lying is to the devil. That's his native language. He is a liar and the father of it. He can't tell the truth. I, I, I used to have a friend. He would rather climb the tallest building in the world to tell a lie than to stand on the ground and just tell the truth. I mean, he was habitual you knew when he was lying when his mouth was moving. He just always lied. He's all, I, I was with him one time, and he bought two fake Mavada watches for like 10 bucks a piece so, somewhere in Houston at, at some place. I was with him. I mean, I saw him. And we go, to a, we go to a big youth conference, and people are like, oh, man, I love those watches. He's like, oh, man, I got that for $900. I was with him. I was with him. I saw him pay $10 for the watch. But he'd rather just lie about something that don't even matter. The greatest person in the world with the greatest memory, the, the greatest genius, can't keep track of all the lies that people tell if you just keep telling them all the time. But that's what the devil does. The devil, it, when, when he opens his mouth, he's lying. When he opens his mouth, he doesn't have the ability to tell you the truth. Uh, there's going to be something along the way that is twisted. Satan has told more lies to more people and angels than any, ever, any being ever created. Homes have been divided by his lies. Minds have been tormented by his lies. Marriages have been destroyed by his lies. Futures have been ruined by his lies. Hope has vanished 
by his lies. Humanity fell into sin because of his lies. So what are you doing, preacher? I come this morning to jerk the curtain back and expose the truth. He can disguise himself as an angel of light, but he's the master of the masquerade. And he's been speaking into your mind day in and day out. I'll never get healed. It'll never turn around. The blessing will never come. The situation is hopeless. You need to understand that when that voice comes, there's no truth in it. It's a lie from the pits of hell. And I'm not going to latch on to a lie. I'm going to stand on the Word of God that never changes. For Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Come on, clap your hands if you believe it this morning. Hallelujah. The devil's greatest weapon and the first one he used was a lie. It's his, it's his operational method of choice. If I can just get him to believe a lie. If I can just plant a seed of doubt in their mind. If I can put something in their mind. And nobody has to do anything to them. If they can just latch hold of a lie. You say, well, I don't know if the devil ever spoke to me a lie. Let me tell you how easily lies spread. All he did was tell Eve and she told Adam. Whether it comes from the devil himself or it comes from another human being, I can tell you where the origin of it is. It's in the father of lies. His offspring is despair. His offspring is hopelessness. His offspring is a lie. Think about this with me. If I were to tempt you, you would know it. If I were to accuse you, you would know it. But if I were to deceive you, you wouldn't know it. The power of Satan is in the lie. If you remove the lie, you remove the power. Satan may have never spoken directly to you. But lies can be, can be repeated time in and time out. It's, it's a thought or a word that contradicts the Word of God. If it contradicts the promises of God, if it contradicts what you know God spoke to you, it's a lie. You see, he, he usually plays on something God said. When he went to Eve, he said, hath God said. It takes a little seed and he twists it and messes with your mind. It, it, it may sound something like this. Didn't God say he would heal you? Yet it hasn't happened yet. Didn't God say he would answer? Well, it, ha it must be too late. Didn't God say he would provide? Maybe this need is too big. I know God said he could forgive, but I don't know about your past and your mistakes. My friend, you better make sure today what voice you're listening to. One voice is going to bring you to God, and the other voice is going to bring you away from God. He's a master of condemnation. You know the difference between conviction and condemnation? Conviction will draw you to God. Condemnation propels you from God. Conviction says, come now. Let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, 
We can make them wider than so. Conviction is illuminating what's wrong in your life with hope of fixing it. And that's God drawing you to Him. But the devil speaks voices of condemnation or lies that say there's no way God will forgive you. There's no way your situation can turn around. You've done too much. You've gone too far. You've made too many mistakes. A lie is only as powerful as your willingness to believe it. That's, that's how, however willing you are to believe it, that's how powerful that lie is. You know, my, my buddy who tells me you know, a lot about everything, those lies don't have no power over me because I don't believe nothing he says. I won't believe it. So they're, they're, they're powerless lies because my willingness is not there to latch hold to it. But if a lie comes into your spirit, comes into your thought, comes into your mind, you have the ability to whether or not you're going to give it power or jurisdiction in your life. Uh, by whether or not you repel it uh, or you pull it in and you latch hold it. There's people that's, that latched on to stuff a long time ago and they're feeding those lies. Uh, they're feeding it because they won't let those lies go. Uh, and, and those lies are raised up jurisdiction in their life. Uh, and when, when something's there a long time, it becomes normal and you think that's how it's supposed to be. When something sets up residence and you're so used to seeing it and you're so used to thinking it, it doesn't matter what the pastor preaches. It doesn't change the lie. It doesn't matter what somebody comes and says to you. It doesn't change because you've, you've just been, you've recognized it for so long in your life and you just keep feeding it and you keep believing it and it has power over you because you give it power. I, I read, heard a story a few years ago and, and I'm, I'm, I'm very cautious of sharing sermon illustrations because I've noticed that some, I'm not, I'm not saying they're lying, but some illustrations make for good preaching, but they don't have any truth in them. They're stories. And so I'm very cautious about sharing stuff until I check it out and make sure, okay, this thing checks out, you know, because there's some really, I can think of a lot of illustrations that are really good but have no basis. So I heard a story about a painting. I don't even, I don't know if I've shared it here or not, but, but it's called Checkmate. And here's the painting. The painting was painted by a man named Friedrich Moritz August Rech, or something of that nature. I, I, I did my best. And it was on display at the Louvier Art Museum. And, and, and this painting, what it is, it's, it is a, it's a chess match. And on one side, you have Satan. And on the other side, you have just a, a poor, weary man. Uh, and, and they're both, he's staring at the board. I, found, I went and found the painting online. And, and it's a valid painting. And, and, and the story is valid from what I could see. And, and, and this man is looking at the board. And the enemy is sitting back, almost gloating. Satan's just sitting there smiling. Because he, it looks like he's got this man in checkmate. And it's all hope is lost. And if he wins, he gets his soul. And, and this painting was on display at this, at this museum. And countless people passed it, looked at it, observed it, and accepted it as being so. And one day, there was a group of tourists there. And there was a young man who was a chess player. And everybody else has walked away. And he's standing there staring at this painting. And everybody assumed he was observing the painting. But what he was actually doing was looking at the moves left on the board. And finally, they hear this man start screaming. He said, it's a lie. There's still one more move. 
You see, the only move that was left was going to put the devil in checkmate. And there's people that have accepted it as their fate just because those lies have hung on the walls of your heart for so long. But if you can look a little closer, honey, I want to tell you it's a lie. God still has one more move. There's still room for a miracle. There's still opportunity for God to show up in your life. Come on, somebody worship him. I'm not going to believe the lie of the enemy. I'm not going to believe the lies that the devil spoken in my mind. God can, God will. God will step in and make a way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The lie, hear me. The lie is just as much about God as it is about you. It's not that the enemy is necessarily attacking you. He's attacking the integrity of your God. He is, he is throwing things in the face of God, saying God cannot keep His Word. God does not have the ability to back up what He says. That God does not have the ability to honor what He spoke in this book. So it's not that He's necessarily attacking you. But on a grander scheme, He's, he's attacking the integrity of your God. He's coming. And, and I want you to know God will not sit around and let the enemy attack his integrity. He'll raise up a David when there's a Goliath screaming blasphemies at the, at the God of Israel. He'll raise up somebody that God will use and God will conquer that lie to prove I'm still God. I have not changed. If I did it before, I can honor my word and I can do it again. In the book of Second Kings, chapter number 18 and 19 is, is rather a long story, and I'll break it down. I'll break it down for you real quick. The, the Hezekiah was the king of Israel, and he came in there. He tore down the high places and all this kind of stuff. And, and, but, but the enemy king of Assyria rose up, and, and he came against Hezekiah, and he was taunting Hezekiah. He was, he was saying how, how he couldn't defend Israel, and they were going to come in. They were going to destroy Israel. And, and it was, it's, it's a long. You can read it in chapter 18, verse Chapter 19. It's a real long deal, but what it did is it tore it tore Hezekiah to pieces because he got this letter from King Sennacherib, the king of uh, Syria, and he came in there and, and and he took those he took those letters and all they were were lies. They were lies concocted from the enemy. How their God couldn't defend them and and how they couldn't they, they would never be victorious and, and all this bunch of stuff. And, and he took those lies. The Bible says in verse 14. Of chapter 19, he received the letter of the hand of the messengers and he read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and he spread all of those letters before the Lord. What did he do? Basically, this is what he did. He said, God, I don't know what all this is about. All I know is this fabrication. All I know is it's a lie. It's not just about me, God. It's about you. And the only way I know how to handle them is I'm just going to put them out before you called uh, and let you take care of them. Uh, hear me, ma'am and sir. Uh, those lies you've been carrying for months and years, uh, the only thing you can do with them today uh, is you come to an altar and you just put them in the hands of God uh, and say, God, it's not about me anymore. It's about you and your integrity. Come on, I believe God will defend you. I believe God will step to bat for you. 
I believe God will say, you know what? That's my children. Stand with me all over the building today. It's a lie. Paul said, I don't want you, like Eve, to fall. Not because you didn't come to church. Not because you didn't pay your tithes. Not because you didn't read your Bible. Somewhere along the way, you believed a lie. You felt like God couldn't forgive you. You felt like the mistakes you made were too great. You felt like your past was too marred. You felt like your marriage was beyond repair. You felt like your family couldn't be fixed. You felt like your job, there was no way you could you could get out of it. You felt like the finances, I don't know what the lie is, but I know this. There's not a person in this room that hadn't been touched by a lie. in this room that cannot that cannot stand and say you know what the enemy's never lied to me no 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 because he's touched us all I can't use you so I'll use me because I know me and I don't mind being transparent I have nothing to hide I'm honest I've got faults and I've got failures and I know what it's like to go to a pulpit and tell everybody else that God will make a way. You go to prayer myself and don't even think God hears you. Don't even think God knows where you're at because you let your do a lie. And the lens through which you view life becomes tainted by the thumbprints of humanity. And every now and then, you people who wear glasses, you're going to understand what I'm saying. It takes, you got to spray something on there. And you got to clean them off. Because the lens through which you viewed everything was tainted. And when you put them back on, you realize how clear you can see now. And it happens so gradually that you don't even notice it's happening. If somebody threw mud on your glasses, it would be so all of a sudden, the first thing you would do is take it and you'd clean it off. But along life's way, you pick up oils and you pick up particles and you pick up fingerprints and, 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 and you don't realize how much stuff is blurring your vision until you take them off and you clean them. You don't realize how many lies you start believing until you come to an altar and say, God, put that blood on my mind this morning and cleanse the lens through which I view life. Because you can leave out of here today without all the lies of the enemy messing with your mind. Let me tell you, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of man that he should repent. Have he not spoken shall he not do it? The enemy would love for you to believe this morning that there's no way God can do it. That there's no way God can make a way. That there's no way God can turn it around. That there's no way. That's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. I heard an evangelist recently tell me a story. This evangelist knew this man who his dad was a pastor and he struck out on the evangelistic field. He had a trailer, had a family. They, everything was going great and they were traveling. All of a sudden things started going wrong in their life. 
this started breaking and this drama and this, you know how I've had an RV. I can tell you, there's some churches I didn't want to go back to because everything broke on, on my RV. I said, my goodness, spirits won't leave me alone over here. RV stands for ruins, vacations. <laughs> One day this, this trailer broke down on the side of the road. And the enemy spoke into the, vo- in the, in, in the mind of this evangelist. And he said, I'm done. I'm done. He called his dad. He said, Dad, bring a trailer. I want to unload all my stuff out of this RV. I'm done. I'm not evangelizing no more. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get a secular job. He said, son, I'll be right there as soon as I can. Time passes by. He sees his dad coming down the road with a big trailer. Got all happy. Got all excited. He pulls up, and in the back of that trailer is piled high with as much lumber as he could fit. In the back of his truck was saws and, and screw guns and, and all this building. He said, Dad, I, I want his true story. He said, Dad, I, I wanted the trailer so I could load my stuff up. He said, Oh, I know that. It'll be empty in a minute. He said, What do you mean? He said, Son, when you called me and you told me all the stuff that was happening, all this, he said, I found all the building material that I could find. I got all the wood I could find and the nails. He said, well, Dad, what's all that for? He said, because right here on the side of the road, by your trailer, I'm going to build the biggest monument I could build with what I got. And I want everybody to see what it represents. The first time God ever failed. You see, he got the point. And he fixed the trailer. And he started back on his way. See, you got to be careful what lies you buy into. Because to my knowledge, there's not a monument that exists today that represents the first time God's ever failed. Because we serve a God that does not lie. And he does not fail. Lift your hands to me all over the building this morning. I want you to begin to talk to God. Come on, the Lord is moving in this place right now. I don't know what you need. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what situations are in your mind. But I'm here today to tell you, we're fixing to come to this altar. And you're going to bring every lie the enemy spoke to you. And you're going to put it in the hands of God. You're going to bring every lie the enemy. Come on, step out of your pew right now. If you need the Holy Ghost, God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. If you need a healing, God wants to heal you. I don't know what it is, but we're going to bring the lies and put them in the hands of God. God will defend His reputation. God will defend His integrity. Come on, come on.